just a quick introduction um, to to what exactly you're watching. So ideally, this is a, a conversation around fees must form. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, my name is Leroy Jason. I'm a, photogra a photographer of the work that you see behind Naledi. This is Naledi Chirwa, uh, and 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 she she w was obviously a big big part of uh, inspiring a lot of individuals to to take up this uh, the take up the, the opportunity and the, the responsibility of, of carrying on with the movement there was a lot of issues that you guys had I mean th there's a lot of issues that you in particular brought forward when it came to the, the movement in, um, in, in addressing yeah, yeah. internally and externally but obviously uh, this is an opportunity for us to also get to know you. Uh, some of the, the experiences that you you had to undergo whilst in yeah, yeah. A, a, in the pursuit of freeing education in our country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this movement obviously is something that is still ongoing. But I would like you to say hello and introduce yourself. Um, hi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Naledi Chiro, as you have said. Yeah. Um, I'm from the Economic Room Fighters, so I'm a member. Yes. Uh, of the economic room fighters and yeah. I have the privilege of serving in the National Assembly yeah. um, as a legislator yeah. um, on behalf of the EFF and the voters of the EFF and subsequently South Africa yes. because then we serve everybody in that house. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for this opportunity. I think it's always good to reflect um, on the efforts that the youth put in yeah. uh, for the things that we set out for yeah. um, so that we do better or we strengthen or we re-strategize, or we evolve, right? Yes. Um, because there's also an opportunity for those kinds of conversations. We say, how then do we evolve from here onwards? Um, not only as a movement, but as the youth. Yes. Right? Um, because I think one thing that we all agreed on was that Fees Must Fall was above us. Yes. Uh, that it was bigger than all of us, and that mm. there was no, there should not have been the stars of Fees Must Fall. Yeah. Um, because it was a collective effort that took a lot of groundwork yeah. uh, even before uh, the eruption of FISMAS Fall. Like, for instance, FISMAS Fall doesn't start in 2015. The hashtag starts in 2015. But yes. what the youth set out to do precedes that, right? Even yeah. before some of us even go into a tertiary level um, kind of education, right? There's been many students before us and even after us who've questioned and confronted the issue of free education in South Africa, in Africa, in the continent at large, um, and even around the globe, right? Yeah. Uh, because primarily what we agree on is that capitalism is brutal yeah. to such a point where it's able to commodify an issue of education. So as it does with healthcare, like for instance, uh, people make a profit, yeah. Leroy, when you get a headache. Yeah. And that is absolutely unethical, should not be accepted because that is where we see the brutality of uh, the issue of access into higher education, into healthcare, because it is commodified, then becomes an issue of that some people won't be able to access it, right? And so even our quest to seek free education was primarily confronting the brutality of capitalism. Okay. Um, beyond that, and also calling for decolonization was a very primary point, especially for the EFF Students Command at the time, because we agreed on the issue of uh, decolonization. And secondly, also on the issue of insourcing, mm. right? Uh, so even when the movement collapses, the conflict arises from the fact that our memorandum uh, issues were not all addressed, yeah. you understand? So when we start, we are obviously confronting the issue of the increment. They announce different increments across the spectrum in different universities, mm. uh, and then students find an opportunity to mobilize and agitate. 
So yeah, and then that then marks um, a very important era in a post-democratic uh, South Africa, what we call post-democratic or post-apartheid era. Um, but obviously even the happenings of Fees Must Fall get, bring us to a different conclusion. Yes. Because of the violent nature of the of how it unfolds or yes. how the state responds yeah. um, to a very just call that f education must be free for everybody, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your background, regardless of your race. Mm. Um, people must have access to higher education yes. if they want it, and it should not be commodified. We should not leave teacher institutions with loads and loads of debt because we set out to educate ourselves. Yes. Um, that is the shame of the reality of South Africa post-1994, that there's millions of young people who go into higher education mm. and live there with debt yeah. for the rest of their lives because also the unemployment issue, yeah. right? So we go, then we collect debt. Yeah. Debt, that's what we collect. Yeah, but that also globally. I think mm. just it's a, it's a global uh, issue, right? I know that's, that's the reason why a lot of people have taken a liking into my, the work that I have from from the UK and yeah, and, yeah. Um, and the states were that was the conversation for them. It was uh, the fact that they would they would uh, land into the workspace with a with a, a, a disability already with the fact that they've already got consumed. Well, they were already in either blacklisted, yeah, or, yeah. you know, in, in bad credit. Um, but you know, when, when when you speak about this fight. It, Sometimes, well, most of the time, a lot of it started at home first before you, uh, before it got onto the street. What was the the the, the experience like from just your, your, with your 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 parents or your your mom explaining to them? Ex obviously, you were yeah front page papers or uh, the, when you were confronted with the issue of not going to school and and reason why you guys have shut down um, school is. Um, what was that conversation like? Did you I think it was different for all of us. Yeah. Um, but a privilege that I don't take for granted yeah. is that I come from a very radical home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so being radical has always been something that's uh, encouraged in my home, being raised by my grandmother, who was a community activist herself. You know, I would okay. witness her strides as a community activist and somebody who mobilizes in the community. I'd go to community meetings in grade one. Right, uh, when people from government come to come and lie to people, my grandmother would be the first to stand up and say, actually, if you are coming here to lie, you might as well leave now, yeah. right? Um, so the nature and the privilege of growing up in a home that is already radical, um, where ideology, even in simple terms, mm. is already something that I'm being taught, yeah. um, where it is being practiced, right? Because, mm. for instance, even gender roles didn't exist in my home. Nice. Uh, my brother would have to cook if it's turned to cook. And all, and these are things we undermine, but that's what shapes people in their adult life as well. Yes. Or as they become and evolve, because then you have to confront other things uh, outside and not necessarily have to delve on the interpersonal experience of having to unlearn too many things. Yeah. Because your home is already a place of learning and unlearning. Yeah. Right? Uh, so that's a privilege I personally had. But I know many other people at the time understand, mm. right? Which was very ironic for us because we were like, but guys, Nanimos, <laughs> mm. you have yeah. a history of that, yeah. right? Of seeing that things are not being done correctly and then confronting That's and being confrontational in that. Mm. Footing in our ways in your high school days, 
you set out and you're like, Africans must fall. Even us, we want it to fall. Yeah. You know, yes. even us, we want free education. Even us, we want our land. Even us, we want insourcing. Yeah. Um, the beauty at the time is also the amalgamation of yeah. the amalgamation of the student and worker uh, movement and alliance. I don't know if you want to get into one one question here. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, Nonzi asked, "What happened to the, the cause? Did it get cancelled and forgotten?" That is a very it's a tricky one. I'll admit, um, because firstly that we take a halt in 2015 is not because there is an agreement to take a halt, yes. right? Uh, and these are conversations we were having even at the time. There is no way eight days into a protest there are descending voices that are saying that, but we want to graduate. Mm. Mainly for this reason. There is no eight-day protest that has ever stopped anybody from graduating. Yeah. Not even a month-long protest has stopped an academic year. You look at the history of protests in universities. Some universities have been protesting, would go in for three months, mm. protesting, but they would still complete the academic year, mm. right? Yeah. But at the time, we were not privy to the information that we have now um, of learning that there were extra elements. Even in that, I mean, we were saying it as a rumor, you know, with high nina, and and state, hey, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and then seven years post that moment, five years post that moment, we learned that there was an actual uh, strategy to demobilize Fees Must Fall as a movement called mm. Project Academia. Whoa, what? Yeah, yeah, this was mentioned at the State Capture Commission. Oh, yes, okay. Um, that there was an actual attempt by state intelligence to infiltrate the movement and to sway it away from what it had set out to do. Mm. So the descending voices, some I don't think were even aware with what their descending voice meant at the time, right? Mm. Uh, but now it is a much more important issue to confront and look at because according to what the little that we have from what we have from the State Capture Com uh, Commission is that those very people or those very individuals are deployed in strategic uh, institutions or strategic positions. We don't know whether that's governance, we don't know that's the National Assembly, we don't know that's legislature, we don't know if it's in higher education, um, in the executive and management of higher education, we don't know if it's in the committee of education, we don't know much about that, yeah. right? But what we do know is that there was an actual attempt by the state to sway us away from that. Um, so that's why I think it's a bit tricky because we don't, unanimously agree to stop. Yeah. Firstly, there's police brutality that's happening. Mm. People are being hunted down, literally. Mm. People are being shot down. There's universities, especially black universities or previously disadvantaged universities, police go into people's rooms to shoot them, what was that? to that arrest was... them. It happened at UKZN at yeah. DUT. That's how we get Ubong Nkosi Kanyila, who's then arrested for six months after that. Mm. That's how we get to the situation of Kanyakla being arrested for two years post that. Yeah. So even that moment, we have to come back and say, no, but actually, comrades, who are those people? Mm. Because that moment alone has meant so much trauma for the rest of everybody else who believed in the cause, mm. who put their lives on the line, who put their bodies on the line. Some of them even died. Mm. Sadly, Umlungi Simatontela died in KZN because he was saying he wants free education, mm. right? Uh, and the fact that there were actual individuals, I mean, there's different ways that we can even debate this. 
For instance, some might argue, you know, but you don't know the pressure from state security or state intelligence and what that could have meant for our lives. Yeah. But we ourselves as comrades would have secret meetings yeah. where we strategize and work towards how do we then strengthen this whole thing. Yeah. To imagine that even in those meetings, there were people who were taking down our names, taking down what we are saying, and reporting to the state that makes us vulnerable, that makes the movement vulnerable, mm. is something that we need to revisit because you don't only take away a protesting moment. Yeah. The fact that 26 years into uh, post-apartheid, young people mobilize themselves, organize themselves to confront the state for something that they believe in, and then you come in mm. with your individual uh, idealistic moments and ambitions to come and start a whole movement yeah. for your own aspirations, is something that should anger all of us because we don't even know where these people are. For all we know, these are people who are going to be leading the country in the next few years. These are people yeah. who will be calling president in the next few years. Um, and also knowing the nature of selling out in South Africa and apartheid mm. and where we are today as a country where we are learning many things of where people, what people were doing at the time. Like for instance, Cyril Ramaphosa during his years, yeah. he, was an active, he was a unionist. He used to fight for workers' rights. Mm. And then into his leadership, he then becomes the same guy that calls for concomitant action against minors who then get killed. What then does that mean about the new era of young people coming into that, yeah. that we have Bosil Ramaphosa in Fizma's fall, who mm. will then go on to lead in the future? But look, I think you're, I mean, coming back to the actual work and the stuff that I did, I remember when I was photographing, because I did a lot of photographs around, you know, because there's only positions where you could stand is either on the, the student side or the police side, or yeah, it's safer yeah. to stand behind that, that front line. Of yeah, the I remember side. that. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, I ended up finding myself documenting a lot of uh, uh, police officers and their brutality. Yeah. Um, and obviously wanting the best angle would have been over the shoulder of a police officer that led me into, in, in, into a position where I almost got shot. But, but I published an image of a, photo, uh, a photograph of a of a policeman shooting yeah, yeah. at students. And later on, someone had identified that, that police officer as, as uh, somebody that has been struggling to get into school for so many years mm. that he came. Yes, uh, I think I remember you know, that moment. So, so, so I, ideally, you know, it's, it's very easy f for people to have been a, a part of a struggle to liberate people, but then also be the same people that end yeah. up wanting to enslave them. Yeah. Um, do you think that could be the status quo of, of why would someone want to still, instead of negotiating these, the, these terms around fees must fall, using brutality to kind mm. of um, uh, uh, dumb down and use all these different angles to kind of dumb down a, a, a movement. Yeah. What do you think was the, the reason behind putting up the resistance for, for this cause? I think we first have to look at the history of policing in South Africa. Mm. Um, and admitting the fact that the police are not here to protect us. Mm. They are here to protect mm. the mm. state from us. Um, if there comes an opportunity or a circumstance where that is the decision they have to make. Yeah. If they have to choose between the state and the people, the police, the nature of the people from creation, from inception, yes. was to keep the apartheid government protected. Yes. Uh, and to confront anybody who has a swaying view from the regime at the time. Yes. And that structure did not change. Uh, post-apartheid. And Fizma's Fall, Marikana Massacre are all examples that we can use and numerous other examples. I mean, not so long ago, people were shot at and tear gas because they were standing too close to one another yes. at social grant uh, queues, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, that then brings us to question, what is the role of the police in today's day and age? And that is why we have so many crises that they are unable to solve because they are not built for that in the current dispensation. Um, for instance, they are able to go around the country checking people's boots just to get Amahanta's gold I-4. But they can't patrol communities to fight gender-based violence. Yes. Right? They can't patrol communities to find actual to fight actual crime. They can't go to buildings that are identified that are being used for human human trafficking. Every day we hear what the building number what about in Johannesburg is used for human trafficking. People are called for fake interviews. You'll never find the police there. Yeah. What is the reason? Because that is not their primary focal point. Yeah. In fact, what we see that sways to that is just a disturbance and a distraction. Um, because more than once or more than numerous times, we learn that that is not their role that they are playing. And in FISMA's fault, that's precisely the role that they played as well, mm -hmm. to protect the state from the threat of regime change. Mm -hmm. um, because what people also don't understand is that FISMA's fault at the time, even though we didn't know, yeah. had the capacity to pull off a coup. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I'll give even a particular incident in Cape Town. Yeah. Students went in there and got inside parliament. Mm. Right? That is a coup. Yeah. If you get inside the chambers of parliament, you take over parliament. Yeah. That is a completed coup. Yeah. And then what happens then? Weeks, days after Minister uh, Blade Zimande is refusing to engage students, is then saying he's outside, the students can now come out. Mm. But <laughs> that power this is a coup, yeah. right? And then the students are then, to, again, this is what, what brings us back to Project Academia. Yeah. Who is that voice that then said to the students, let us leave parliament chambers and go outside. Mm. The minister is waiting for us outside, mm. right? Um, so this is how many people even justify the response of the state, which I think is unjustifiable mm. because, for instance, it did... Yeah, 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 school fees in South Africa. Yeah. It's sitting at 9 billion. It's very little. Like, if the government today decides they are taking out 9 billion uh, to pay off student debt, the crisis of student debt is gone. Yeah. And every day we hear of the government bailing out this and this uh, state-owned entity, this and this company, whatever, yeah. even private companies that, that the state is able to bail private companies out but cannot afford a little 9 billion rands to put into the future of South Africa, to erase student debt, right? Mm. Uh, so back to police brutality. Siri releases a report to say that the state acted unfairly and actually triumphed upon uh, our human rights. Mm. There's an actual report. Is there anybody arrested? No. Is there anybody being investigated? No. And the effect of police brutality lives, lives beyond the moment of FISMA's fall. Yeah. Uh, people are living with PTSD. Mm. People have lost their friends, people can't go back to school because many of them are still excluded even to this day. Mm -hmm. um, I'm one of those people who are excluded. I had to navigate my own way um, of getting to deregister at UP and then registering at VET and then deregistering and then going somewhere else um, because then you have to develop a whole science of how to not be excluded from a system, right? Yeah. And many others did not have an opportunity to do that. You strike today, tomorrow there's a list that's out, you are suspended, your DC is two days later. Mm. And then you're expelled for life. Um, we see this even in RU reference list. Uyolanda Kianki is expelled yeah. for life. Mm. And she's battling, she's going from court to court, Trying fighting to for her right to learn. But access to education is even afforded to prisoners. Yeah. Right? Uh, so what is this thing that takes out, that forces to take out student activists from, the, from an environment of learning? Mm. It is responding to the fact that uh, young people 
are able to mobilize themselves mm. and confront the government. Mm. So even when we look about the question that they are asking, Wuti, what is what then can happen beyond fees must fall? Yeah. Those are the questions that we start we must start asking ourselves. Wuti, we don't live in a utopia, um, or that the university space is a microcosm of society. So if young people are able to organize themselves on such a grand scale mm. in institutions of higher learning, then surely we can, in our township areas, mm. in our rural areas, organize ourselves as young people, mm. right? Not that we aren't. I'm not erasing any of the work that's being done because every day in South Africa there's a protest. Mm. South Africa is named as one of the protest capitals uh, in, in the world, mm. right? So the voices on the ground are clearly... Uh, dissatisfied or discontent with the, with the situation that's happening. Mm. Um, but there's definitely an opportunity to evolve the movement beyond the corridors of tertiary institutions and to find our way to uh, navigate and form part of the community that we come from initially. Mm. In our township areas, people must know that or we must a associate one another in our activism in our immediate spaces as well. Yeah. Um, and I think it will also be a very limited view to say Fizma Fall has died. Yeah. It has not. Young people are still organizing in different ways, in different forms. Um, and as I said, it was not a conscious decision that Fees Must Fall must come to an end. Yeah. That is why in 2016, the same thing happens again. That's why in 2017, the same thing happens again. But then you are fighting people who went to different countries to get trained to numb down a protest, and you don't even know. You think this is a comrade, this is a student, this is a person who was trained in Brazil, for instance, or who was trained in Canada. You don't have, you're not privy to that information. Mm -hmm. So when a comrade says, but guys, what about those who are the first generation in their homes to have to graduate? You actually consider the things that they're saying. Mm -hmm. Because we want education, we want those degrees, that is what we are setting out for this thing. Yeah. But then our agendas are completely thwarted, they're completely different, right? Mm -hmm. And that is why I also problematize in Dabaye back to class. There's this hashtag, Leroy, that trended in 2015. A hashtag back to class. Yeah. Right, what it's that, that thing of project. I believe it's that thing of project academia. Okay. Um, that was used to just to stabilize the movement because yes. people were then celebrating when Zuma said zero percent increment, and we were just like, no, but that's not why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is not why we're here. That is not why we consented to getting arrested, to getting shot at, mm -hmm. um, to getting suspended. I, we, we didn't set out for zero percent increment. Yeah. That's a. That means we are shortchanged. Mm -hmm. Uh, to having people who have lost, who have criminal records today, mm. who can't get jobs mm. for a 0% increment mm. that can be redone the following year, then the increment happens again yeah, okay. over and yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. That is not what young people in 2015 sacrificed themselves for. Mm. That is not what the moment in that time and place was calling for. Mm. Um, and yeah, so how the state responds to the movement is something that I think even beyond that we should still look at because it will not change unless there are concerted efforts to ensure that it changes. Yeah. Um, and then we have another opportunity now. With do, the but do you believe that it will, will change in your lifetime now? Oh no, not with the ANC in charge. Yeah, yeah. It is not going to change. Yeah. I mean, if ANC can, can pay Eugene de Kock a salary mm. of 40,000 a month, mm. somebody who was trialed, who was found to be killing black people during apartheid mm. is getting a salary from state mm. services. Then it means there's no effort, there's no political will to move towards a direction where people are economically liberated yeah. uh, and find uh, closure and find healing and find an opportunity to devise new ways of living, especially because these old people are hoarding these positions. Mm. 
they have to be at home resting, playing with their grandchildren like the rest of our grandparents and mothers and, and fathers are doing. Mm. But no, they are hoarding legislatures, they are hoarding mm. the parliament chambers with no ideas. Just recently, Titan Bowen was saying that he needs help from South Africa with ideas on how to fix the economy. What is, the, what is he then doing as a Minister of Finance? Yeah, yeah. Why is he allowing himself to remain Minister of Finance when he has run out of ideas, ideas yeah. when he can't lead us anywhere? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And now they want to outsource the very same people they silence, that they ostracize, that they mm -hmm. push away, young people, to now come and give them... We don't want to give you ideas. We want to implement those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. We will be left with the repercussions of that. Ten years from now, all of them will be wiped out. That's just nature. I'm not even being vile or crass. Yeah. They will be gone. All of them. Ten years from now, it will be us who are left with the repercussions of a government that didn't prioritize the youth. Mm, 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 mm. Well, I mean, let's go to our next. That is actually, you know, that is so true. Uh, uh, Commissar Gottwich-Gari says, in terms of the promotion of ac access to information, Act 2 of 2000 is now the matter in public records as a state com Commission uh, requests to be made by both by SC, SCC yeah, yeah. and SSA for the list. Absolutely. Yeah. So I like I like that the commissar is raising that because it's something that we've been raising even in relation to COVID nineteen, right? Uh, as the EFN Parliament, we've asked for demographics that are race based, right? Yeah. Uh, and then we were not given that. So what this bill essentially says is that whatever the information that the state has the public must have information too. Yeah. So if the state is in possession of the names of people who were paid mm. to distract the movement of Fees Must Fall, it must be made public mm. to the nation. This is the constitution that we defend every day. Mm. This is the same constitution we defended to get rid of Jacob Zuma. Yeah. Right? That the fact that if it is in our esteemed constitution that information held by the state must be made public, we then want to know who those judges are that are being bribed by SSA. We then want to know who are these people who are part of Project Academia. We then want to know the names of these journalists uh, who are being paid by SSA. Because, oh yes, another issue is the issue of media during Fees Must Fall. Yeah. We've covered the issue of the police. We've covered the issue of Project Academia. We now also learn of the issue of journalists who were working for the state at the time. Yeah. And that's why we get to read of articles where students were being terrorists, yeah. were vandalizing property. I mean, that, was the, that was the narrative when it started. Yes, right? And it, it was far from the truth. Yeah. We would get shocked as students ourselves when something would burn. And what they would do is that they would burn it when we are far from that. Like, for instance, at the University of Pretoria, I can give an account uh, of the University of Pretoria because I was there, right? So I can give an account of the University of Pretoria. Yes. Um, We'll be heading towards one direction in 10 minutes. Guti wa samwe guyasha. Gushi sila. Right? Yeah. Um, and then there's a narrative in media that presents us as terrorists, that presents us as criminals, when what we are fundamentally looking for is our human rights. It's a right that was sold to our parents before some of us were even born in 1994. Right? Our parents choose the free education that is being posted on every poll. And then 20 plus years into that, the young people are saying, where is it? We want it. Mm -hmm. And then we are the ones that are viewed as terrorists. If anything, if there is the narrative that must hold, then it means the government is the ones that are terrorists because they lied. Mm -hmm. They could not deliver on their very own promises. Yeah. Right? 
Uh, so media writes all these articles, people, and those articles, Liro, are dangerous because they are then used in some of the people's trials in court, yeah. uh, where videos are floating around of people burning police cars. You can't even identify the person in that video, but the state is saying it's Kanya Kagesh. Mm. And he gets jailed for two years for a video that's unidentifiable, mm. that you can't even see what you ban it? yeah. And it's a person who's not even part of the students. Do you understand? Mm. Um, there's people who are writing different articles of saying that the students must not vandalize. There's no student who vandalized anything. Mm. In fact, that narrative, I still believe and will still uh, highly state on record that it was, a tag, it, was a, it, was a, it was an objective of the state at the time to neutralize uh, the movement and to also take away from the empathy that society was then giving us at the time. Because yeah. people were then starting to say, no, but then we can't support these criminals. Yeah. And that's exactly what they wanted, to isolate us from the very community that we were representing and fighting for and fighting with. Mm. To take us away and say, they're not a part of you, they're criminals. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, look, I think I, that's exactly how I started. I started I started documenting it based on the idea that there was another narrative. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's why I published most of it on uh, online. But they, you know, I want to find out for, from you because you know there's many layers to fees must fall. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's the the one question that we need to t to also address there is the decolonization um, conversation. Mm -hmm. What? So someone has asked, was it? Uh, sorry, I need to get to it. Here we go. Um, said, what happened to the decolonized part? Uh, that part was never addressed. Pardon? He says that what happened to the decolonized education part, that part was never addressed. Of course, but so is the issue of free education, right? Yeah. Uh, because the movement is not something that was happening just in, in focus to the free education part. Yeah. It was free education, it was decolonization, uh, it was Africans must fall in some institutions like the University of Pretoria, it was insourcing as well. Yeah. Uh, so many parts were not addressed. There's some academic scholars that are doing the work currently um, of documenting and archiving work in relation to decolonization. Yes. People are doing their postgraduate thesis in the moment of this must fall and focusing on the issue of decolonization. There's many scholars who are setting out for that, right? Yes. Uh, it's just unfortunate that once again we are left uh, with the hopelessness of having to wait for the people that are governing today mm -hmm. to make those things a reality. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, as much as we don't want to talk about that issue, they are the government. Yeah. We chose them. Yeah. Uh, and thus we buy into their ideas. We buy into the way they govern. Mm -hmm. Even if it is a hard pill to swallow, that is the reality. Mm -hmm. um, and I think even as young people, we must start really organizing ourselves politically, um, even if it means being partisan, right? Mm -hmm. Because that is how our country functions today, in today's day and age. Yep. And politics doesn't start and end in the National Assembly or Parliament, yes. in the legislatures, in councils, right? Mm. Politics starts in our communities, in our wards. It must worry us as young people. We say we are young people, we say we are activists, but our councillors are not us mm. in the communities. Our councillors, ward councillors in our communities is not young people. Mm. It is not uh, the people that we associate with activism. You go there and you tick on an emblem, not knowing who's Now we're going to local government elections, yes. right? People know that this particular person has been a ward councillor for the past 15 years. Mm. 
they don't stay in that community. So when there's no electricity, the councillor doesn't know. know. Yep. But you go back and you tick on the same thing. Mm. What are you endorsing as a young person? Mm. What is that culture of continuing to perpetuate the very same thing we want to problematize? Mm. Um, there's some kind of accountability on our part that we have to take, not only in terms of voting, but also in terms of teaching one another mm. and conscientizing one another and holding the IEC responsible for not doing uh, their obligation of teaching the voters uh, of voter consciousness, because that's yeah. also one of their prerogatives. People don't know the importance of voting, mm. right? That is why in 2019 we faced a crisis of the fact that young people didn't vote. Yeah. Because uh, firstly, some do know what the, what the power of voting is, but there's a hopelessness that's also emanating from not knowing what the effects of voting alternatively or voting otherwise could potentially mean for you as a young person. Yeah. Um, so being participants politically is also very important. Mm. Joining a branch, uh, signing your membership forms, going to branch memberships, uh, coming up with programs in your immediate community mm. is something that we should also be preaching as well because yeah. now we are just politically active on social media, which is a great tool, might I add, yeah. uh, because of the kind of momentum we gain even in FISMAS 4 in institutions that were not mainstreamed in, in, in media yeah. is the fact that we had that platform to mainstream ourselves yeah. and to document and archive the work ourselves, right? Mm. So I'm not uh, trivializing that, the power of yeah. social media. Um, in fact, we get in contact with different kinds of narratives on social media. We get in contact with your work yes. on social media. But I mean, I think that's why, I, I mean, that's why I'm trying to use this opportunity to kind of get people engaging in, in the movement, even from the comfort of their own homes, by yes. using and, and using social media like that. Because a lot of people were actually scared to be in those in, in those positions of, uh -huh. you know, being shot at. I mean, you, you also mentioned the fact that you were pregnant yeah, through that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a, a lot of people, I mean, that, that's what this testament of that photograph actually mm. stood for, was a reverend walking through yes. the street. And you could see the... The, the willingness to want to understand what is happening, but also the 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 the, the fear of being a part of something that yes. they might potentially uh, endanger themselves in. Mm. Um, so, with that with that said, you know how how hard was it for you to also uh, get your your message your your message clearly through without the. The, 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 the influence of media and also the narrative that was mm. happening. Were you a bit strategic in the way in which you kind of uh, conducted yourself as a leader in, 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 in your space or were you, were you just kind of still feeling from a, were you still fueling yourself from, from a passionate point of view just to get your voice heard? Um, so there's like two dimensions, right? Mm. Uh, particularly for me as a participant of FISMAS Fall. Firstly, at yep. the time, I was the spokesperson of the EFF Students Command. Yes. Um, so communications was part and parcel of my responsibilities. Uh, so the issue of issuing statements, um, of getting in contact with journalists to document and archive different works or whatever, that was my obligation. Uh, as a student leader of the EFF Students Command at the time, right? Yeah. Uh, and in the movement uprising at the time, I was also the spokesperson for the first two, three days. Mm. And then I was removed because apparently I was instigating violence. Mm. <laughs> Project Academia. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's actually so intricate and so deep. Yeah. <laughs> now <laughs> wow. that you keep on, yo. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, guys, yeah, yo, like yo, 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 you dealt with us actually, mm. right? Um, but from 
my perspective and organizationally speaking, we were finding alternative ways of documenting the things that we were doing, recording videos, posting them on Twitter. In fact, that's the era where most of us didn't start gaining traction on social media yeah. um, and having a social media footprint because we were document not just even beyond Fees Must Fall, Africans Must Fall as well. Like for instance, Africans Must Fall, uh, it starts in 2014, mm. right, with the EFF Students Command uh, making it as part of our mandate to get rid of Africans at the University of Pretoria. Yeah. Um, we campaigned for it even during my campaign for SRC president in 2015. Our theme or topic was uh, one institution, one language, right? Yes. Uh, even though we don't necessarily, we want the mainstreaming of vernacular languages, of yeah. indigenous languages. Yeah. But at the time we were confronting the issue of how languages used to be a, a, racist, a racism tool and an issue to advance the privileges of white students at the time at the University of Pretoria, mm. right? Uh, so there's Africans must fall. And then, because I, I was heavily pregnant at the time, so I was at home. Yeah. But because they knew the history of where Africans must fall comes, I get a suspension letter, um, and part of the suspension letter was that I, I tweet violent tweets yeah. that instigate violence, okay. right? And that already mirrors the power and the impact of social media at the time or how we were able to utilize it to such an extent where an institution, outside of its perimeters and how it functions ordinarily, will find a way to say, we are taking you out because you tweeted <laughs> yeah. about Africans must fall. Yes, yes. Um, so that is, that is the advantages that we took. I think even, especially now in modern times, and I'd hate to say modern times because there's nothing yeah, modern, modern about, <laughs> about our lives. <laughs> yeah. um, but young people are taking... Uh, are mainstreaming their opinions and thoughts and confronting and even uh, disputing the narratives of mainstream media through the use of social media. We've seen it with Me Too, we've seen it with One in Three, mm. we've seen it with Are You Reference List, we've seen it with Rape and Azania, mm. we've seen it with One Shabok, One Patriarch, One Shambok, mm. we've seen it with Remember Kwezi, we've seen it uh, with uh, Africans Must Fall as well, we've seen it with Black Lives Black Matter, Matter yeah. right? Where the narrative on but media is one thing. Fall. Isn't Roads Must Fall? Roads Must Fall as yeah. well, right? So there's a there's a possibility of duality in activism to exist on a social media footprint as a mainstream or as an alternative mainstream media because it is mainstream. If something trends, then it becomes mainstream news um, as opposed to SABC1 and ETV and E! News and all of those um, which serve their own and choose their own people to document. So even though some of us didn't make it necessarily on mainstream news outlets. Like, you wouldn't see my face on SABC News mm. or E! News. Um, but people still throw around the word, but you were, you know, and I'm like, that is because we were intentionally taking the time to document our and archive our stories on alternative media outlets. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because the media had chosen their stars at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean you, you know, now that, I mean, some of, you know, during the, during the protests and during yeah. the experience, um, there was also the, the, there was a moment that I mean I'll, I'll go back to me documenting the the, the moment where where uh, women had to take their took their clothes off in, in protest to to get violence to stop um, you know the female voice and, and transgender voice or the LGBT group voices I mean was it quite a struggle for you to also kind of what what did it take for you to get your 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 um, for the protest to actually listen, because I remember there was moments where, where when a woman speaks, in, yes. then 
guys. There's people, some voices, voices erupting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, even in small things like Moshe Ingo, Manji. Yeah. Uh, people don't sing along <laughs> if they hear a high pitched voice. Yeah. Um, but that speaks to the to the broader issue of patriarchy. Yeah. Um, in South Africa, we generally are not a society that's receptive to women's voices, yeah. and it was no different in Fizma's Fall as well. Mm. Um, uh, that is how we experienced it as well. But in my experience at the University of Pretoria, I, I don't think I have the same account yeah. as other institutions because we were very clear on that one. Mm. The first cue is women. Yeah. The people who are leading the songs are women. Yeah. The people who are opening an engagement and addressing are women. And even the students were clear. So even when they removed some of us as uh, the coordinators. I don't want. I don't like using the word leaders because really it was really collective effort at the time. Yeah. Um, but coordinators of the protest, students would would not allow people to speak because then why are we then subjected to this male voice consistently? Yeah. Uh, and then now there's no longer a nobunwele speaking or there's no longer an lady chira speaking, right? Uh, so in my institution, I think the politics and the dynamics, the dynamics were very different. Um, we were very cognizant of those things, and we would nip them in the bud very early on. Um, so if somebody imposes themselves in a space with a hyper-masculine um, behavior and performance, we'd call it out very quickly and silence it and isolate it. Um, you are not a man. You are not our man here in this protest. must fall. Right, mm. and even if it was your house, normalize the fact that Sikona and we exist and have equal uh, stake at this platform, it's not yours. Yeah. We didn't create a platform for you to speak alone, alone yeah. so we were very clear on that shame at the University of Pretoria. Um, at first, it was hard, mm. but then it became, it became normal. Um, well, in my experience, because also on a personal, on a personal level, I, I don't allow it to happen, mm. um, whether I'm at a restaurant or I'm at a club or I'm at work, you, you don't shut me up. Yeah. yeah. Or in a relationship, you don't shut me up, mm. right? I listen and I must be listened to. Um, so yeah, shame. But other institutions had a different account on, yeah. of, on all of that to such an extent where it almost caused a, a split, deep yeah. split within mm. the movement itself. Um, but on our account at the University of Pretoria in particular, that wasn't... That wasn't a prevalent, prevalent situation that we couldn't confront at the time. So I just want to go into like the proud moments. I mean, you know, they are like in those moments where you f you feel closer and closer because this th that last that last um, um, the last movement um, it was it was really really close. Everyone had thought that at this point in time the, the state is starting to listen. Yeah, uh, you're getting the 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 backing of the normal average uh, South African uh, parent is also being, in, parents are involved in, in protesting as well. Um, wh when was your proudest moment, when were those proud moments for you? I mean, if you could. There's, there's quite a few victories that were recorded. Um, yeah. And I appreciate no, this question. Your, your, your personal, your personal. Victory. Oh, but it can't be personal. It's impossible oh, it's okay. for Sorry, it to be personal. No, but I from mean, my personal point of view, point I of can view, give yeah. you those moments. Um, firstly, Africans fell at the yeah. University of Pretoria. Yes. Um, it seemed like a distant ambition at the time when we first set out for it, mm. um, because African students would get even different memorandums during mm. exam time. Nice. Like you'd be writing an exam, and then when I got the question, I understand I'm not an African speaker, I've never been to an African school. Yeah. I would read the African's question to understand the question better. How? Yes. 
Like, if you want to pass at the yeah. University of Pretoria, you must have an African-speaking friend. If you want to pass properly, if you want to get a proper uh, scope, not memorandum, scope. Mm. You know, the, when scope they tell you the what word, to study yeah. for. Yeah. The African scope was where it was at. Like, it had page numbers and everything. Yeah. So, you know exactly what the question number four <laughs> is page 116. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And we... We cut that stuff out. Africans fell. Um, it was it was a very long process because, like I said, it started in 2014, um, and it was only rolled out after 2016 over a period of years. Yeah. That's a that's a proud moment for me as a as somebody who believes in decolonization. Um, was not necessarily against Africans as a language because there are many Black African speakers. Mm -hmm. um, so the issue was not Africans as a language, but how it was used yeah. as a language because we understand. We also understand the politics and how power is also being uh, manipulated through the use of language. Yeah. Um, I mean, the fact that our mainstream language in South Africa is English is testament to that, mm. right? Uh, and insourcing happened at the University of Pretoria and numerous other institutions as well. I think University of Pretoria was the second institution in the country to insource its workers. Yeah. Um, this one time, I was just roaming around in Headfield, and I saw the workers dressed in their new uniforms with the emblems of the University of Pretoria, and they called me. They even threw a baby shower for me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. nice, nice. Um, and they were telling me, oh, yeah, we are from the doctor, because we now have medical aid. Wow. Um, and it seems like such a small moment or a small thing, but... That is what we were fighting for, yeah. that their children get to university for free, that they get the very same university that they are cleaning, yeah, that they can also have access to it, mm. because you can't just keep an institution that you can't even access clean. Mm. It is yours as well, and you must have as much uh, privileges as a worker who's working in the student center has to it. Mm. Um, you must have the same pension benefits. You must have the same uh, medical aid benefits. You must have the same privileges that every worker in that institution has. Um, and even beyond that, it means we subsequently then abolished the tender pioneering system in relation to security guards and cleaners at the University of Pretoria, um, which is a cardinal pillar of the EFF, by the way, yeah. uh, to abolish uh, tender, uh, tenders and uh, build state capacity. And that is something that at the time, as young people, as the EFF students command in particular in relation to insourcing, is something that we started and we saw end. Mm. Um, so that, those are some of the things that... Yeah, sometimes when I'm alone, I'll like drop a young yeah, thug tear yeah, <laughs> and be like, yeah, no, we insourced workers at the University yeah. of Pretoria. Yeah. I mean, or yeah. rather, we worked with, with the workers yeah. to ensure that the workers yeah, are there insourced. Was, I, know, I remember there was a moment where, where some of the workers got involved in it, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really the majority. It was a big one that came in there from Tumelo. Um, let me just, let's go back to the questions here. Fumuto, but before we go to Fumuto, there was, uh, just for clarity, Prince Namate asked, uh, what is the manifesto for the uh, Fees Must Fall movement for forward? Is it free in, uh, tertiary. tertiary education? I don't know what she's asking. Well, was there a manifesto for the I mean, there isn't a Fees Must Fall currently in the banner of Fees Must Fall, right? Um, but I think if there's something that we can agree on as young people is that free education is still something that must be realized. Yeah, but I'm also, I'm, you know, it's also the quality of education. You know, yeah, that's yeah. The, that, that for me is still the, the issue. I understand that we want a free education as well, 
but you know, decolonizing the, the decolonizing education is a big, big, big part of yeah, that yeah. as well. Uh, that means that there's new ways and new systems and new uh, and new uh, new ways of approaching the education system altogether. I mean, you did touch on it a little bit by banning Afrikaans, but there was. The, the, the stuff that like Newton and this, the, the conversations that we've been having here um, on uh, on the type of education that we are teaching uh, our students yeah. is it there to feed into this capitalistic way and, yeah, and yeah, leaving, of course. Le leaving uh, tertiary and then going into private and not helping uh, the sector of, of the government, um, which is which should be should be something that we need to also discuss. Uh, where we're having this discussion is at Eat Eatery in the corner in Bromfontein. 70 Juta Street, 70 Juta Street, and these, these are the chefs and, and directors of, oh yeah, there you go. Uh, the work is all up here, so you can ha have an opportunity to go through it. Um, so, I mean, Newton has also quite a cool question that, um, that we were discussing prior to this. Um, I don't know if, if, you, if you could, maybe you can answer, ask it, and then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, you're actually correct. Um, it would be. Just to repeat that question, so we can. So he's asking. I don't know if I'm getting it correct, but you let me know if I'm. How, the reaction of the university. How? What kind of impact will, will it have if we had to reorganize again? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think, like I said, th th there is opportunity for the movement to evolve, for the student voice to evolve. Yeah. Um, we have to think of new alternative ways of existing as activists um, in today's day and age. Like I said, that we should be more politically involved yeah. um, and familiarize ourselves with the political space beyond the tertiary institutions, but even our communities as well. Um, because obviously the draconian response of universities remains even today. Yeah. Like for instance, where you have biometric systems and part of our strategies in FIS must fall was that we would mobilize, go to TUT together, come back to UP, go to UNISA, right? There was that uh, amalgamation of, st of the student voice. Um, across the board that obviously will not be possible in today's day and age because to access vets now, for instance, you have to tag in with your finger, yeah. right? Uh, but those are some of the tiny problems that even the pandemic or kind of resolves, but doesn't because we are not necessarily in the physical space of the university anymore. Yeah. Um, like, for instance, how then do we mobilize ourselves during a pandemic? Um, how then do you become activists during a pandemic? Um, and I think it becomes a time where we should engage much more with people that we call public representatives um, because they have an obligation and that is to serve people. So for instance, if people have issues that they are facing like uh, being rejected by NSFAS and all those things, you have every right to get in contact with a public representative whether you know them or not. If you know, you can just drop a DM on Twitter or Facebook. They are obligated to assist uh, people. They are obligated as public representatives um, to be able to take the issues of the people and bring them and bring them into the parliament or into the legislature. Yeah. Um, so we obviously have to think of different ways. Uh, like for instance, if there's a petition that is being done in a community 
bring it forth to one of the EFF MPs to take it forth uh, in Parliament to present it as a motion, to present it as a declaration, to present it as a member statement. Because then when it's documented, then there can be actual action that's taken in regards to that. Yeah. Um, this is beyond education, because I serve in the Portfolio Committee of Health. And I always say on Twitter and Facebook, Uti, if you're ever turned back at a hospital when you want a termination, whatever, whatever, drop me a DM and we'll resolve that, right? Uh, and that is the privilege of having activists, young activists in uh, positions of governance or in the state or part of the state as a leg of the state because we're not necessarily governing as the EFF, yeah. right? Uh, but there are some kind of things that I would necessarily be able to do that an ordinary person would not be able to do. Like, for instance, I can request the names of the people who are part of Project Academia yeah. uh, through a question to a minister. Uh, and it has to be answered in Parliament. And if they don't answer it truthfully, there's also a procedure to follow, even in that regard, right? Are you planning on doing that? You just write a weekly question to the minister, and then they have to answer you. Exactly, exactly. But I mean, I think that's exactly what's happening. That's why you find a lot of people not trying to get involved in, in, yeah. in voting, is because there's this... There's a disconnect between yeah. the, the, the distance between that and, and, and those that represent us. Um, the other question that, that was in here that that I we couldn't obviously get to see, but was... Is the decolonization one. No, we've answered that. We didn't. Oh, we didn't? Okay, yes. No, go yeah, ahead. there's something I wanted to say in particular into that. Yes, yes. Particularly that the issue of decolonization, ne? Uh, the people who have most agency in that regard is actually the students. Okay. Um, for instance, when I was studying drama, part of our curriculum had Shakespeare or whatever, whatever, right? There were not many of us who were against Shakespeare because we're like, I'm not going to use Shakespeare when I graduate here. Um, what I do need as an actor in South Africa and Africa, in fact, even if I were to be in an international film, is not necessarily Shakespeare, yeah. right? It is South African realism. If there's something I have to offer the world, it is South African realism. We protested against Shakespeare, and then and they ended up changing the curriculum to such an extent that the same guy who was teaching us acting at the time, he's teaching honor students uh, at Verts. He called me to one of his classes, and I found he was doing Ivo Fugard. Oh, wow. um, and that started at the University of Pretoria. They don't even know yeah. um, that that's where the project, the reason why part of their curriculum as uh, directing students is Ethel Fugard and not Shakespeare is because of a moment and decision students took at the University of Pretoria at the time. So peruse the authors that you're given in your curriculum. Write emails or mobilize amongst yourselves as students in that class to say, we want this author as well. This one we don't want anymore. Yeah. Those are the privileges that you have in the immediate space as students at the time. In that class, to ensure that the people that you want to be taught on are put there. If there aren't enough black writers, ask that they be put there. They will be put there. It's a curriculum that you have to present to the working space even beyond that. Wow. Wow. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because nobody will bring decolonization to us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you're entitled to this. Yes. Absolutely. It forms, it's that thing that I was raising that the IEC must be held accountable for failing to conscientize voters on their rights uh, in relation to accessing public servants, in relation to how they can participate as civil society um, in the work that we do in parliament, the work that we do in legislatures. Um, uh, and even beyond that, I think we also have uh, an obligation as young people, each one teach one. Mm. That's as simple as it is. Uh, and to be, like I said, Get, let's get back to the basics. Let's be involved in politics in our very communities um, and not just wait for the opportunity to arise in the social institution because majority of us anyway don't even get to access higher education. Yeah. Right? Uh, so even if we may resolve a few issues in institutions of higher learning, there's a multitude of us who are left out, who don't get to be politically active, not because uh, they are unable to, but because the information is not mainstreamed. People don't know that there's EFF and political party branches in their very communities that they can form a part of, that they can even start, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. that is part and parcel of our democracy. And our cons I mean, as an EFF person, I'll obviously lobby you mm -hmm. to join into the idea because we're already doing the work and we're already mobilized and we're already confronting the state. Mm -hmm. um, but there's many alternatives that we can decide on as young people in unifying the, 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 the voice of the young people. See that your, your video it is paused. On your side. Um, yeah. But uh, so with with that with that said, you know, is now that we we come to understand our position. How do you think the movement is um, going forward? What is what? Where do you see it going going forward? In my personal landscape. Yeah. And I'll be completely frank with you. We want to govern the country. We really do. Um, we are done with giving the responsibility to old people. We are done giving the responsibility to people who are not us, who don't live our reality, who don't carry the dreams we have for this country with the same passion that we have. Yeah. Um, we are tired of wanting to convince ministers and whoever to give us free education. We want to be those people that usher in free education. Yeah. We are tired of having to lobby for land to be uh, expropriated. We want to be those people that ensure that our governance does exactly that. Yeah. Um, we are tired of lobbying governments to uh, do beneficiation and domestic industrialization. We are tired. We, we want to be those people that start that conversation, not only start it, but actually do it. Yeah. Um, I think 27 years, it's 27 years now. Yeah. 27 years is a long time yeah. to still find your feet around the whole thing. Yeah. Just do it. And if you can't move over, but also it means young people must get rid of the anxiety. Mm. Uh, even old people, get rid of the anxiety that you have, the political anxiety that you have, mm. um, and see if your peers can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or in the very least, if you, you can't, can't do it. it. That's, uh, that, that <laughs> ultimately, 